You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's quote is from Julia Gillard, the former prime minister of Australia. Make sure that as you step along your leadership journey, you are studying the gendered bits so that you're not there thinking, this is happening to me because I'm not good enough, or this is happening to me just because of some eccentric reason about me. You're understanding When there are gendered things going on and you've thought in advance what you will do in that moment. And it's one thing to call it out yourself, and that might be a great strategy from time to time, but it's another thing to have reached out to people who can assist you in that moment. I don't think we should put all of the burden on women who want to be leaders to address the sexism. I think everybody, men and women, should be calling it out for them. Our voice is a reflection of our life experience, where we've been and who we've listened to. But we can also own it and even change it if we want. This is the podcast that's all about the voice, but it's also all about power, who has it, how we get it, and how we sound when we have it. I'm Samara Bay. I'm a dialect coach for actors in Hollywood on projects like the upcoming Wonder Woman sequel. And I'm also a speech coach for entrepreneurs, politicians, creatives, and women everywhere who need to use their voice to get what they want. Welcome to Permission to Speak. Let's do this. On today's episode, we have Dr. Rena Gupta. She's a laryngologist, which means a doctor who specializes in disorders and diseases and injuries of the vocal apparatus. She's one of the world's leading experts on the voice, and especially for professional singers and actors, people who rely on their voice for what they do. And she's an utter delight. She's young. She's cool. She has a nose piercing, which I asked her about in terms of its relation to (laughs) vocal production. I wanted to have her on for obvious reasons, but I really relished getting to ask her specifically about some of the things that women get maligned for, like vocal fry, to find out if we're actually hurting ourselves. What my old teacher at acting school used to call with a scary sternness in his voice, bad usage. Or if um, we just seem to be hurting ourselves in that way where male-dominant society tells us what's good for us and what isn't. And boy, did we get into it in terms of the assumptions and judgments that we are all guilty of making about other women's voices. Also, listening back to this one, which we recorded before coronavirus, I was struck by our discussion about how much we injure our voices on a night out. It's uh, called comfort now that we're all homebound. But I hope you enjoy this chat and get some insight about your own voice and some really practical tips for keeping it healthy and free. Her book comes out in a new edition this week. 
So follow her on Instagram for all the details, including a new title at Rena Gupta, MD. That's R-E-E-N-A, Gupta, MD, and also at Center for Vocal Health, both of which I will link to in the show notes. This is Dr. Rena Gupta. It's like sports medicine for the voice, right? Because vocal sports is singing, is acting. It's long-form audiobook narration. It's voiceover work. This is really athletic task on that one body part. That's my best analogy. Sports medicine of the voice. Okay, who comes to you and what do they tend to need? My practice is almost entirely singers, actors, and then I will get a smattering of teachers, lawyers, when it's a rough day, a doctor, but (laughs) really people who, because they're using their voice in such a finessed and fine-tuned way, they're noticing minute issues with their voice more than a a layperson. So my actor and singer and voiceover population are people who are noticing that in my fourth hour of work, in the tippy top of my range, in these little minute aberrations, they're noticing it and they're coming in for basically help to figure out why is it happening and what do I need to do about it? Is it medical? Is it therapeutic? Is it surgical? And that's my wheelhouse. And there's anxiety around that. There is so much emotion in my exam room. I think, and I, you know, I take this really seriously because I give the analogy of like, I'm a surgeon. And if I am going to a hand doctor because something's not quite right, I am going in with a lot of emotional intensity. I'm panicking that the entire life that I've built is being jeopardized by this symptom that I don't know what the cause is. And my patients come to me like that. And I would say a good 75% of them are crying by the end of an appointment for good, bad, or otherwise. It's not always bad news, truly. Sometimes they're like, I have been living in fear for months. And what a relief to know that it is something as simple as X, Y, and Z. So it is extremely emotional. It's why a lot of people delay coming in. Fear is a really big, motivator is the wrong word. What's the word? Fear is a big delayer. Yeah. Fear holds people back. It does. And then when they come in, what sort of thing do you do to figure out what's happening on the inside? <laughs> you know, there's there's what you're alluding to, which is looking in the inside. And that's office-based. It's painless. It's really easy. And we do this, you know, 10 to 20 times a day. But my forte, I think, is in assembling the story of their voice symptoms, listening to the sound of their voice, and putting that together to know when I look in, this is what I'm going to see. Because I don't like to treat the picture. I don't like to look at their vocal cords and say, ah, this is what's causing it. Because then you run the risk of misattributing cause and effect, right? Because there are a lot of things that could be wrong on your cords that even fixing it is not going to fix the symptom that brought you in. So I have to be really attentive to what brought you here today. What are the problems you are dealing with and how do I fix those? And do I care or not about the little bump we just found in your vocal cord? It might be of no consequence. You may have had that since you were a baby, you know, and you were sick and coughing. You never know. And when we're talking about the vocal cords, we're talking about something that's the size of a nickel. Yes. Like people don't necessarily know what's in there. Yeah. And what I got from doing some research in preparation for talking (laughs) with you, although it doesn't actually come up that much with the work that I do, is just what an insane, like, you know, tangle of muscles and nerves is in there and around there. Yeah. It's a really, really complex design. And I think it is truly astounding that something that is the size of the diameter of a nickel can produce four octaves of musical note, can convey emotion. Can It's truly, it's a design that is so exquisite that no instrument that's man-made can replicate it. I mean, nothing. And then what do we do to fuck with that? <laughs> so, I mean, the obvious question is about vocal fry and upspeak. Yeah. And some of the things that are associated with women. I don't think it serves us to be so pedantic about this one thing is good or bad, except for objectively good or bad things, right? Like smoking is always going to negatively affect your voice. Screaming is always going to make your cords swollen. Now, there is a little bit for women that we do tend to, in certain geographical areas, we might upspeak more. We might settle into fry at the end of our sentences, case in point. 
But there's reasons. How delightfully humanizing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I'm not perfect. How did you guess? Well, and we can also discuss if vocal fry equals imperfect. I mean, I have a lot of opinions about this as somebody who works with a lot of women on how to sound more powerful in the moments that matter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of us have grown up with social cues that tell us not only the vocal fry is standard and Mm -hmm. is how your friends sound and is what normal sounds like, Mm -hmm. but also it does sometimes even help us get what we want in certain scenarios because it makes us really unintimidating. And what is wrong with any of that? I actually could not say it better. I think that fry is, if you over-focus on it and you're trying to eliminate it, you come out unnatural. It comes off you know, this This is how you were raised. This is what your social upbringing kind of coached you to. And if you know how to use your voice, not as vocal cords voice, but you know how to deliver voice, then it doesn't matter. Those little, I don't know, those little aberrations of sound, they just don't bother me. I think upspeak, <laughs> I'm not doing this on purpose, <laughs> but I have a little bit more of a bone to pick with that because I think it actually detracts from the point. And I think that is less widespread. Fry, to some degree, especially for women, is a little bit uncontrollable at the end of a sentence. That's interesting. Um, It has to do with the way we drop pitch and that the chords kind of vibrate a little bit more loosely. Mm. And if we do have any little bit of injury, that's when it becomes amplified. And most of us do have little itty-bitty injuries. And so fry kind of is a sound for any rattle, is a name for any rattle at the end of a sentence. Say more about those injuries. I know you said something in your book Singers lead the most boring lives. Yeah. Um, And by singers, obviously, in this case, we can use that as a stand-in for anybody who uses their voice for their profession. Yeah. But you use this metaphor that when we go out to party, the next day we just expect our voice is going to sound raspy. And that that's sort of like a socially acceptable, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, wow, you must have partied hard. You're so cool. Right. And if, for example, every time we went out at night, we woke up the next day and our vision was blurry, we might take that a little bit more seriously. Exactly. And I think the reasons we sort of excuse it is, number one, the voice is pretty forgiving. It recovers, right? It recovers to the best of a lay person's test ability, right? I can talk again. I sound like myself again. The little injuries that are happening in those moments don't affect most people because they're just not using their voices to their maximum ability. That's what professional voice users do. And so it is still a body part. It is still something that when you, quote, lose your voice, it is either extreme swelling of your cords or little bruises, and bruises result in injury. So I'm not as casual about it, but I also know as somebody who has lived that life to some degree that when I have my own vocal cords examined, I'm like, okay, that's that's injury. Do I sound injured? No, but I trip up very easily, right? Like if I get sick, I lose my voice very quickly. I don't always have good singing voice days. You know, some days are really limited because that those little injuries from teen years, they kind of get amplified as you get more and more extensive in your voice use. Are you still singing? Not as much as I want to be. Yes, cue accepted. I will I will do <laughs> I will I mean, dive back in. I will. You know, yeah. You you've certainly sort of publicly spoken about your history starting yeah. when you were ten. Yeah. Of wanting to be a professional singer. And then obviously the tables turned at some point and you became somebody who supports yeah. singers. But also obviously the fire never went out. I never died. I've always loved the singing voice. I've studied it my whole life. And you know, I'm immigrant parents, physician, immigrant Indian parents. The artistic route was not as available to me as perhaps others, or I didn't avail myself of it mm-hmm. because I didn't I didn't really see a path forward for myself, but it never really left my heart, like you said. And so I always pursued opportunities to sing. And I kind of, it really took me until I would say practicing laryngology to understand how those young years really do influence your vocal health. And I mean, it makes sense, right? Like a young athlete who's a track star, right? If their knee starts to go in high school, you know you're going to see that in their 30s. The voice is still a body part. Do you work with people who are younger? I mean, is that something you seek out because you appreciate the value? I seek it out exactly for that reason, because I see the value. And I know that if you establish it at that age, you're going to be at a far greater advantage. But also these days, who's making it, right? Who are the people who are really making the art? It's these increasingly young people And how do they make it? They are out there all the time. 
they are putting out content at such a high frequency, it's really taxing. I mean, my niece, you know, God bless her, I think that for better or for worse, she's a little bit of a mini me. Somehow the genetics just got a little bit confused. (laughs) And she loves to sing and she's a phenomenal singer. But the demand that she's under vocally is so far beyond what I did at that age. And still, for her to break through, she would have to be producing at a really, really high level. And so the injuries are more common because the demand is extreme these days. You work with a lot of really high-level performers. Mm -hmm. How are the conversations different because you have this actual background in performance versus a doctor who doesn't? I think that's something that my patients have referenced almost in every visit. They're like, we feel like you get it. And it's not just that I get it. It's that I care so much about this instrument. Half the time when my patients are crying, my eyes are tearing up because (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, like I want to hear your voice at its best. I Mm want to know what your art is. And I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. And so, you know, there's just the very basic that our language is the same. I can reference register and where they are on the keyboard. And I know, for example, like what is aspirational for a tenor versus what should be in your wheelhouse. So when you say you're capping out here, I'm like, I know that that's not Mm -hmm. normal. So it creates a common language that really makes the visit much more effective. But then the empathy that I feel is not manufactured. It is so sincerely real. When I have a patient who's had surgery and they're better and they're like, I feel like I have my voice back. I mean, the entire purpose of the visit, I tell them, I'm like, it's purely selfish. I know you healed great. I want to see you back in a month just because I want to hear your voice. And they're like, you're crazy. Like, I'm better. And I'm like, I just just sing a little bit for me so that I know that this is back for you. And um, it, tears, always. But that's that's like 100% why I went into this. And that's why everybody should do what they do, right? That that is something that just, they can't not do it. There's an amazing Venn diagram meme I've seen that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And one of the circles is things about the world that break your heart. And the other circle is where your unique skill set lies. And the overlap is what you should be doing. Ooh, that's beautiful. I mean, obviously, a lot of people are not in a position to necessarily go after what's in the middle. That Venn diagram, you know, overlap at any given time. But when you are able to and you find that place, it feels really meaningful. Yeah, that visual is really striking. I love that. Do you listen either to singers or to, say, politicians or just people you meet and kind of find yourself unable to turn off? Or, like, what what are you thinking about, I guess, is a better question, a more positive way of thinking about it. But well, as are I you was, diagnosing? Do I diagnose? Yes. I can't. I mean, that's the short answer. I can't not hear it. So with politicians, because it's so shouty, it actually does conceal a lot. Shouting hides a lot honestly, but it's exceedingly damaging, right? So because basically what shouting is, is you're pressing really hard on your chords. You're just overclosing. And so what we're, we're not hearing the natural vibration of your chords. You're just hearing pressure. Now you take that same person and just have like a regular interview and you'll start to hear. And that's why a lot of politicians' voices change over the course of a campaign, because in the beginning, they're their true voice. Over the course of the campaign, injury is accumulating most often. Mm. And then by the end of it, you're like, okay, this is your new voice. Now you're in your position and you're probably not going to recover your pre-voice. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's for the dramatically worse. It could just be a small shift. But I think that's where we, a lot of the times we assume it's aging voice. Mm. But that some of that stuff is just accumulated injury. And you can say the same of like rock singers. Quick aging. Accelerated. (laughs) Like like Obama's hair turning, turning, you know. Exactly right. I don't know how I came across this, but I came across a Hillary Clinton video from when she was first lady. And it is worth looking up to hear the pitch of her voice. It is, you would not recognize it to be Hillary Clinton. And what a lot of the times women do is we lower our pitch for several reasons. One is that a lower pitched voice tends to project a little bit better. Number two is that there's this sort of socialization that booming male voice is more authoritative. And so if you sound too light, you sound trivial. You sound dismissible. 
right? And so a lot of women, that's another reason a lot of us end up in fry because fry is the lowest pitch of our natural voice. Mm. And so it's sort of a byproduct of, okay, if normally I'm up here, right? This is my normal speaking pitch, but I kind of decide I want to be authoritative. So I'm going to be here. By the end of my sentence, I'm definitely ending up in fry because the natural tendency is to drop pitch as we end a sentence, right? So you hear the fry creeping in. Whereas if I go with my resonant normal speaking voice, you might not hear it as much at the end of a sentence. I have many follow-up questions to that, and we're going to get to it in just a second. Okay. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We are back with Dr. Rena Gupta, who knows all the things. Knows all the things. Can I also just say the only person, host of a podcast, TV show, colleague, friend who has ever made an effort to learn how to pronounce my last name. So I would like to give you props for that. Why, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we're talking about pitch. This makes me think of when you take a yoga class or get a massage. Your voice starts to feel a little bit lower, right? In the theater world, we would call this dropped in. Yeah, or in the basement, right? Yeah. <laughs> Phone sex voice. In the basement. <laughs> Is no, that a metaphor? Sorry. No. Or are you talking about a literal? No, that's literally what people say. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's it's easy with voice to go to that place. Well, but that is a question. Like when mm-hmm. we're talking about how much range and how much ownership we can have over our sound, mm-hmm. I've read some statistics that women, certainly more than men, know, quote unquote, how to turn our voices sexy. Yeah. Yeah. So that is true. But that, to be a little bit like gendery about the, that, I think it is because women have always had to be sexy, right? To create this normal version of you. And then what makes you sexy, right? Heels, the voice, the hair, that versus like men's existence was sort of deemed to be sexy or not, right? But it wasn't like, I mean, that said, there is a sexy male voice, but you know, how often are women calling for phone sex compared to men? Right. (laughs) My guess is (laughs) if I were to just hypothesize that it is more men calling for women. And so that we have had to kind of find that version within ourselves versus men like this is my voice and it is what it is. And you can find it sexy or not, but not needing to like create a version of themselves that is sexier. For sure. What does a powerful voice sound like to you is really my question. 
That is as a, both a professional and a yeah. person. Okay. So here's where the person in me, and I loved that you said you love the English language. I'm a passionate English language lover as well, and a language lover, so that I find that voice and the words, it's a mishmash. It's really hard to discern, do I love this person because I love what they're saying or how they're saying it or the tone of their voice or their body language? Like it's voicing, the art of speaking is so multidimensional that when someone is clicking with you, you're not just saying, I love their literal tone, right? I love the tone of the the prosody of their speech. There's so much more that will resonate with you as a human because voice is the essential way that we connect, right? It is the way we communicate. Mm. And so when I'm thinking about like people who are admirable, that I admire what they say, I might still not be able to ever watch them speak because I find their voice off-putting or I find their body language off-putting. Let's say I'm preparing for this and I'm like, okay, let me try to like find some speakers that I can give an example of is I love these women's speakers or these people. Any woman that I was like, I really admire this woman's words, when I would watch them speak, I'm like, I don't like their voice though. Right? So it was, it's a really interesting... So this I don't like women's voice thing though is such a... I mean, it's having a cultural moment. Yes. What do you think about that? And especially about as you're feeling it coming up in you. Right. I mean, well, that was, it was really troubling because I even asked, I asked my sister-in-law, I'm like, give me your like, go women. And I would, she would send me them. I'm like, oh, I love these women. You know, I love what they say. And then I would listen to them. I'm like, whoa, I would not have expected it to come from that voice. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. I am having to sort of reconcile this for myself. But I think that women have the unfortunate need to balance being sort of powerful, which we tend to lower our pitch, to being passionate. Because if you're not passionate as a woman, then you seem unrelatable and cold, right? Because women are supposed to calculating. always- Right. We don't trust you. Exactly. With not seeming flighty and flippant because you're too happy and too high-pitched, right? It's a really, it's almost a lose, 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 lose. And I remember I pulled up this one clip. It was Meet the Press. And it's a female host, a female guest, and two male guests. And as she introduced everybody around the table, she's smiling at the opener. Female guest is smiling at the opener, and both men are completely stone-faced. And it was just, to me, as I'm watching this episode unroll, the two women are keeping their smile going. The two men are not ever really smiling. And I already know why that's happening, right? The men don't feel any need to do this. And the women are like, if I don't smile, I'm going to be told that I look cold right later when I review this tape. And so catching those own biases within ourselves, I think is a really important way to change that going forward and just say, you know, really be more attentive to the words, but know that, look, somebody like Brene Brown, you really connect with her and the way she speaks. And she's not really putting on a lower voice. I think what we're starting to try to shoot for is more, it's an overused word, but more authenticity. Do I really believe that this is who you are? Or do I think you need to be this for this purpose? And that's a turnoff. And I think women are still a little bit more uncomfortable with owning where we are at and that who I am is okay. Partly because of that, you know, as you said, lose, lose, lose. I think mm-hmm. the official term is double bind, mm-hmm. right? That there is just, you know, if, you, if you're trying to seem both powerful and also extremely likable, uh, that's a hard package mm-hmm. to also be trying to communicate real thoughts. Yeah, And isn't it funny that as a woman that I find myself doing the very thing that is so cumbersome to women? You know, it's... It's the point of this podcast, quite honestly. That is it. Because we have to, A, work on what our own authentic voice might be, not just in private scenarios, but in more and more public as we perhaps have more and more opportunities, no matter what we're doing in our career or in our activism or in our you know, whatever, destiny. Mm -hmm. But also we have to think about us as listeners. Yeah. What do you want to hear? I mean, I have this story that happened about a year and a half ago that I think was the initial spark for what ended up becoming this podcast, which is that I went to hear Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when she came through LA. She had just won the primary, which was a huge deal, but hadn't yet won the general. And I told my mom as I was driving over, I called her and I said I was on my way to this. And she said, oh, good, she needs you. And I was like... My, you know, extremely feminist, Fulbright scholar, you know, kept her maiden name mom says this. And I'm like, I think she's doing just fine. But thank you. 
but I think she's doing Isn't just that fine. Isn't amazing? And she said, you know, I just can't take her seriously with that voice. That's fascinating. It also might be generational. I mean, there's a little mm. bit of an okay boomer in that for yeah. sure. But also you're, you know, admitting very vulnerably and and bravely that you have these same feelings when you listen to voices. And it sounds like it's not just from a medical standpoint. And it's actually not at all from a mm. med- now that you mention it. It's not about pitch, timbre, or, you know, oh, I hear injury. I think it truly, which does also happen. Like I hear singers and I'm like, oof, I want to see those chords. Oh, yeah. But I think that what I'm starting to observe is because we are consuming so much more media, it's such a spectrum of speakers, you do start to find that, okay, there is a group of people that are resonating with me and why. And the people who I find I really click with, it's not a commonality of their voice or their age or their race. It truly is like, I believe you. I believe Mm. that you mean what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that sincerity is sort of a a skill, you know, that's saying I am so comfortable that with what I'm saying that I'm okay just putting it out there. And from that, I think tone comes from that. I think eye contact comes from that. I think, you know, you're, the strength of the words, you're not umming as much, you're not stumbling as much because you're like, this is just quite literally who I am and what I think. But Maybe that is harder for women because maybe our natural selves are not people that we feel have been easily accepted. So partly what I'm hearing is the anatomical stuff is connected to the psychological stuff. Mm -hmm. When you say anatomical, tell me what you mean. What I really mean is it sounds like this is about mindset Mm -hmm. as much as it's about anything else. I mean, I'm a big fan if we can't solve something like persistent vocal fry that feels like it's undermining ourselves by thinking, stop vocal frying. Mm -hmm. But we can maybe do it by thinking, what do I care about and who am I talking to? Yeah. And am I comfortable with that? Right? Because I actually did have to fight that myself. I still remember as a fellow, I had to work with a speech pathologist that was in the office I was training in. He was like, and you stop pressing your voice so low. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But the medical industry, and I'm, a, you know, I trained as a surgeon. That is not a very female-friendly world, mm-hmm. and so certainly over those years, completely subconsciously, I found myself in that basement, and you know, having to sort of now bring awareness. This is a to metaphorical it. basement. A metaphorical Come, one. Thank you. At this uh-huh. point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, have to sort of say, okay, this higher voice that is natural to me does not detract from my authority. And I feel like I only truly own that recently, maybe like in the past four to five years. But that is probably not coincidentally along the time when I really started to feel like I know what I'm talking about professionally. You know, like I know what I'm doing. I'm really damn good at what I do, right? So now all of a sudden, you know, there's not this sort of hiding behind a vocal artifice. I love all of that. How old were you when you went to that speech pathologist? I was 28. I was in training. Yeah. Because I had an extremely similar experience when I was 24. I was in the middle of an MFA in acting, singing a lot, acting a lot. And I lost my voice every day. It'd be back in the morning. I had to go on vocal rest. I found an ENT. I did the, you know, the the camera up up the nose, down the throat. Well, I mean, losing your voice is um, often physical and often emotional. But it was completely about optimum pitch. Isn't that funny? And optimum pitch for listeners is... The Well, you should actually tell me if this is right, but my understanding of it is that everybody's physical vocal cords have a pitch that that should be sort of where we generally hang out in. We can go a little higher and a little lower, and we should for emphasis, Mm -hmm. but we have a sort of, I mean, we have an optimum. And then for all kinds of social reasons, we might be speaking lower because we want more authority or higher because we want to come across as unintimidating. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Actually, one of the speech path tricks is to kind of launch off of a more offhanded pitch. So like as you're talking, I'm mm-hmm-ing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm is where you're supposed to mm-hmm. sort of live, right? I remember this very so, well, yeah. And that sort of blew my mind because I don't, mm-hmm, you know, but I would find myself down there. And so it, you know, it's a little trick and it obviously takes some practice to not mm-hmm launch into, and not need that, you know, as you're finding your pitch, but to catch yourself when you're not speaking where you mm-hmm. I remember she made a recording of my mm-hmm and then of my answering real questions, yep. and they did not match at all. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
oh my God, like what is what is you know the patriarchy done to me? <laughs> well, yeah, but then in your twenties, you're like, I don't know who I am anyway, right? Like you're mm-hmm. like you're still really figuring out your internal kind of like, this is someone with whom I'm comfortable. So like a lot of my female artists, like they'll say they're sitting at the table with this, like with these management and they place their voices really low so that they can be heard. And like, sometimes I'll have like these like rock women. And I'm like, why don't you just put it instead of like down here? Like, just like, this is really strenuous. Just put it here. And I'm like, did you hear a difference? They're like, barely. I'm like, that's all we need. We just need you to bring you out of the basement. But they're like, but then they're going to treat me like a little girl. So they attribute that little bit to like Disney princess and And they might be right. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, Elizabeth Holmes got a lot of people to invest in her before she didn't. Yep. I hate to say it. I mean, it comes from something, right? It does. Like we slowly kind of land here and then somebody has to kind of be like, all right, let me consciously put my voice right. Mm-hmm, is sort of the trick. Right. And it is way easier to do. It feels better. But women are afraid of that because we are worried about sounding ditzy. Yeah. Ditzy. And then, you know, maybe the answer is that above that is where we get into danger zone, but that you and I are on like an educational campaign here to say that that little bit up higher where we're actually just in our optimum pitch and our and our body's not going to fight us. Uh, is not going to undo the the benefits that a lower voice might have done for us. No, and that higher one also is going to feel unnatural, mind you. Like, so both directions feel unnatural. So just go with what feels natural and it's going to actually sound better. And some of it really is just the way we talk to ourselves on the inside. You know, whether or not our that, that little pitch difference affects the way that people treat us may actually have less to do with the pitch and more to do with how have I reconciled that voice in my head that says I sound ditzy? And if mm-hmm. we've reconciled it and we've said, ha-ha, I hear you, you know, mean critic in my head, you don't get to come out today. I love my voice. Mm-hmm. Boy, is that a hard thing to say into a I graduated mirror. out of basement voice, like probably two years after becoming a real, real doctor. Like <gasps> all through training, all through fellowship, I was all the way, I, first two years of like being a real doctor, I was down here. And it wasn't until like I kind of felt like I knew what I was doing that so I'm like, oh, it can be up here. That's all right. Like it's easier. That's and it just happened. It wasn't a conscious decision, but it's just like that's what your brain does to you. But it's I conscious think. enough that you've, you can I look back it. now. Yeah, and but see. I mean, also look what I do. I hope I notice it. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> has to have some insight. Guys, she's right. a doctor after all. <laughs> um, it's proven now. I want to ask you some advice. First of all, do you work with breath and how should people think about breath? For me, it is mostly, is it a medical issue or not? And then I'll punt to somebody like you or to a singing vocal coach and just say, the body works, it's yours to do with what you will. I find that the things that I'm treating as it pertains to breath are going to be, like I said, medical, asthma, allergy, congestion, because, you know, especially here we are in LA, the air quality is suboptimal. And talk about the nose too, because I learned from your book that that's way more important than we think it is. The nose is like my passion project. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You also, by the way, have a nose uh, piercing. So I I would like to know how that plays in. It just adds cool points. Um, It's, I mean, I don't know. I've always wanted one and I got one when I was a grown up to say like, I am going to take ownership of my own identity. Yeah. My authority does not require that I have no piercings. Yeah. I don't need to fit your paradigm of a doctor. So revolutionary, right? So <laughs> it didn't feel that revolutionary at the you time. You are How's revolutionary. <laughs> okay, sure. So nose, we were talking about LA air, poor quality. What will happen, and it often happens gradually to those of us who are not like frankly allergic, is you just get this slow congestion in your voice and you lose nasal resonance. You lose that deliciousness that comes as your sound bounces through your nose. So a lot of the times I'm addressing that. I'm addressing lung health because your voice is powered by your breath. And the more effectively you can access your lung capacity, the more power you have. You don't have to use it all the time, especially as we speak. We don't use a lot of our lung capacity because it's short, quick breaths between phrases. I've been told the way that it works in an ideal sort of functional system is that we have a thought. We dip down for just the right amount of breath for the thought. It comes out of our mouth. Yeah, I think that would be true if we had this ability to kind of predict the duration of our thought. But I mean, that's what the reserves are for. And that's where a lot of fry comes from is like, maybe it's a miscalculation. 
I thought I'd be done. <laughs> yeah. Before I well, was. and what I'm always interested yeah. in is like when we're in uh, low stakes scenarios where we're really comfortable, I think that system works really well. And then yes. as soon as the stakes get higher and the thoughts get more complicated, not just because they're more complicated thoughts, but because we're suddenly also dealing with all this extra stimulus of like, people are looking at me. Yeah. I have imposter syndrome, yeah. whatever is coming up. Then all of a sudden the breath brain connection gets a little. That was wonky. one of my notes too. It's like, how does voice and also like speech pattern change from those kinds of things, right? Like I think women, again, we sort of fixate on this a little bit, like all the self-apologizing, all the, hey, sorry, I just wanted to let you know that rather than just letting you know the damn thing, right? <laughs> like, And I think that a lot of those, you know, I try to take out words like just, like I'm just writing to let you know. I don't need, just, here's what it is, right? But the, I think that is tied to imposter syndrome and that what we're really trying to do is give ourselves permission to be in that space because we don't necessarily feel like we're welcome there. We're, we're perceived to belong there. And I think that pitch comes from that. The volume at which you speak comes from that. And then fry and all those other things come from that too. If I'm not feeling quite right, like I have an eight-year-old daughter and she does a lot of this upspeak and it makes me nuts, but I understand I'm raising a female child in Los Angeles. <laughs> I did want to ask you about this because I know you have kids and a yeah. boy and a girl. Yeah. So it feels like there might be like an experiment going yeah, on. Exactly. I'm like, I'll break you. I'll let you do what nature and see what happens. Who wins? Hunger Games. No. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, it, does that sound really, really right? true. That's such a sign. And the firstborn, right? The poor firstborns. And it is, is my daughter. Uh -huh. Yeah. So she will say, you know, she did literally this morning. She's like, I know we don't have a lot of time, but can you put my hair up? And I'm like, why don't you just ask me to put your hair up? You know, like you don't need to make an excuse around this thing. But she also, she said, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I was wondering, you know, and it's built into that. And I'm like, oh, you're learning. And, you know, look, I'm sure I did something to, like I said, break her and make that happen. But you're learning to need to kind of excuse yourself. And I think upspeak is a little bit of that. I think it is, I'm not entirely, like, I don't want to sound too assertive. I'm pretty sure I know this is okay, but I'm not 100% sure. And, you know, if you come in guns a-blazing, like, we don't ever want to be wrong or proven wrong or, you know, disagreed with. And so I think those speech patterns kind of come from that. I'll fix her. Don't worry. She'll be okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, oh, a lot I of clients that I work with are at an age or a, like, era in their life, regardless of age, when they are realizing that their old tricks aren't working anymore. Mm -hmm. And it is stuff that did work when we were little. I mean, not everybody has a mom who's as, you know, conscious of this stuff as you are. But, you know, there's a lot of reason why young girls or women do that upspeak and that hedging and that mm -hmm. hemming because it feels like uh, it helps us get what we want in a world that's made for us to take up a certain amount of space right. and no more. Yeah. Do you tell anybody about warm-ups? I know that actual like vocal coaches help singers with warm-ups, but yeah. anything in terms of relaxation of the larynx or anything like that that you suggest before people speak? I don't make the suggestion as to what to do, but I do suggest doing something. And it is not that not so simple as like the cords are a muscle because they're not that simple either. But it's this idea that, yes, I want to kind of clue my body into leveraging my breath. This is where my attention needs to be for the next period of time. And I want to just make sure I sound good. I want to find out how I'm going to sound before I need to sound that way, right? So as you're driving in your car, what does my voice sound and feel like today? Don't find out when you're behind the mic. You know, find out on... So what do you suggest doing while you're driving to your thing? Um... I actually don't do anything. Why are we doing this topic? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, but I would say like a, a true professional should probably cultivate a warm-up that works for them. I have some people who just sing along. And again, it's sort of don't let your voice take you by surprise. Just know where you're at in the morning. And then some people actually don't like to sing because it makes them feel very vulnerable. And so they will read along to something. And some people will just do like really trite stuff like me, 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 whatever it is, just to sort of feel like, okay, this, I'm my attention is being brought to this body part now. Okay. Voice health tips. Mm. I know drinking water. Hydrate. I know people say tea, but I also know there's a bit of a myth that anything passes through your vocal cords because it does not. Correct. Nothing you eat or drink touches those cords. So those lozenges are not effective. <laughs> this um, is the message from our sponsor, Lubin's. 
<laughs> I thought it was Ricola. I was trying to find another way to say that. No, that's that. right. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. We, we, you were here so that you can tell us truth. Yeah. I we mean, don't look, want to be lied to anymore. I like me a good placebo too, right? <laughs> so let us not downplay. The placebo effect is real. And if that is part of your ritual, like wearing, you know, a certain pair of socks— because we, what we said, right? Your voice is tied to your emotion. Mm-hmm. If your emotional health is attended to, you will sound better because everything is connected the way you want it to be. So if that lozenge does it for you, rock and roll. Now, what I don't want is for us to be relying on that when things aren't working, right? So if things are not sounding good, don't pop a lozenge or have tea. But if it is something like this is part of my routine, rock and roll. I love it. So Hydra- ritual, yes. Yes. Medical treatment, no, no, exactly. (laughs) Now, sort of, you know, hydration, yes. People ask about hot, cold, you know, something in between. Whatever floats your boat, your body's job, your mouth's job and your upper throat's job is to get the temperature to what your body wants it to be, right? That's why when you're drinking something too hot, what do you do? You sip it because that lowers the temperature, right? You're bringing a lot of air in with it. If it's too cold, a lot of us leave it in our mouths a little bit longer because it's uncomfortable when you swallow something too cold. Regardless. That's why room temperature is obviously the best. What you're here to say is. Correct. I just noticed you do that as well. (laughs) All the best people do. Um, Humidifier. I like them, especially out here. Now, do I want it to be a rule of law? Like if you don't have a humidifier, your voice is going to go into the drain? No. But I think it feels good. I think it feels good to both have it in your room when you're sleeping but also the handheld ones I am a big fan mm-hmm. of. Um, and there's a gazillion versions of it. Again, it could just be a little bit of a ritual, but it does feel good to have that moisture in your throat and vocal tract. Neti pot or something like that. I love the sinus friends. It is, mm-hmm. I mean, because I love nasal health. But essentially what I tell people is look at your car. This is LA, so I can reference this. In New York, people be like, you're what? But look at I your mean, car. I mean, we have New Yorkers listening in. Yeah. So you were invited the t- into the room as well. Look at the parked cars on the side. <laughs> look at traffic. And all the grime that's on the car is in your nose because it's all mm. landing from the air. Oh, my God. Right? You know, that's why we have nose hairs. It's your filter, right? This is the filter to your air conditioner. But where is it staying now? It's staying in your nose. So wash it out once a day. This is also brought to you by <laughs> Neil Med. <laughs> what do we do if we have a cold? If you have a cold and it has not yet gotten to your voice, then as you were, most colds, 80 to 90% start in your nose. So treat your nose. Theme. Rinse, decongestants if you need it, nasal sprays, go to a doctor. But generally, because they start in your nose, if you can keep it up there, you're going to be spared the vocal injury risk that comes with that post-nasal drip. I've lost my voice. I'm hoarse now because I'm sick. So my target with my vocal patients is always to try to keep the cold up in your nose. And that just means really aggressively treating your nose before it lands into your throat and chest. Brought to you by The Nose Show. I mean, truly. This is amazing. You thought I was a voice doctor, but the reality (laughs) is. It's a nose doctor. But one thing that I'm hearing over and over in different beautiful ways is that we are a holistic system. Yes. And I mean, I love what you said about our mental health is related to our vocal health. This is my other passion project in addition to nasal health is mental health. In all seriousness, I think I see a lot of mental health issues in my patients. And I think it is underappreciated, undertreated, and then poorly treated when it is treated. I think societally, we are not great at it. And it is absolutely affecting people's ability to function in their artistic world. Another sort of offshoot of the various charitable things I want to take on in this next life that's coming up is tending to artists' mental health. I think it's really maybe becoming worse as well with all the increase in anxiety and depression we're seeing related to media and social media and all those things. But there's no question that I see it even over the 10 years I've been practicing, it has absolutely been increasing. And younger and younger people. There's also such such a stereotype that doctors, you know, treat the one thing in front of them and not the whole person. And I really appreciate that that's not your philosophy. I will say, I mean, my staff makes fun of me. They're like, oh, she's going to be in there for another hour. If, you know, because I do, I sit with them, but it's so rarely as simple as your cords look like this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost always the environment of the whole body that you find the answer in something that appears remote, but 
every other system is connected, why would we think this is different? And the voice is complex and we are complex. Oh, yeah. Okay, quick break. And then we're going to find out who you brought in for us to hear. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We are back with uh, Dr. Rena Gupta. And I'd love to know, Rena, <laughs> and who have you chosen to bring in? I brought in AOC. Uh-huh. And it was a loaded moment. You take somebody like her who does a ton of talking, right? And so her voice will naturally get more and more hoarse over the course of a political career. And so as a voice doctor, I listen and I'm like, oh, like I want her to get better vocally because that's going to hurt her. It's gonna, She's going to sound rougher and rougher over time, right? So I think it's like I hear that happening and I want to rein it in for her because I want her to like have the voice she's supposed to have. But then she's also a woman in leadership. So I don't know how much is what, like, it's really hard to pull out. Well, and I wonder what this voice is that she could have had otherwise, because, you know, a a big tenet of this type of stuff I talk about is that our voice is the product of our life experience. Mm. Let's listen to her. Let's play a lightning round game. I'm going to be the bad guy which I'm sure half the room would agree with anyway. And, um, and I want to get away with as much bad things as possible, ideally to enrich myself and advance my interest, even if that means putting, uh, putting my interests ahead of the American people. So, uh, Mrs. Hobart Flynn. Oh, and by the way, I have enlisted all of you as my co-conspirators. So you're going to help me legally get away with all of this. Huh. <laughs> Heaven help huh. me. She ends every, almost every one of those sentences uh, of vocal fry. Yeah. It's a great example of yeah. vocal fry. It's a great example of what you talked about earlier, that when you go down, yeah. you inevitably end up in vocal fry. Exactly. Not necessarily because you don't believe what you're saying, but rather because you're literally trying to keep your voice from going too high. And fried, it bothers me less, although I think it's when it's consistent, like throughout a phrase, then it's really aggravating. But like, I think that what we saw, heard in that clip, that bothers me less. Um, the ones who are kind of like, well, you know, like you're always down here and it's just the dominant pitch. That's a more of an issue for me. For her, it feels whiny. Like her voice feels whiny to me. And I hate even saying those words. Yeah. Like it just, it makes me mad at myself. Does it bother you because you think she's hurting herself? 
That would be better, right? Yep, it would be better. <laughs> I'm giving you giving the opportunity. Me the <laughs> oh gosh, no, I think there's just some voices I don't like. But I think her messaging is so strong. And for me, I will give myself credit for saying her messaging does not feel less strong for her voice. Like it doesn't distract me from believing in her message and believing in her and wanting to listen to her. It just, I wish it was otherwise. I mean, but what you're saying is that if she could tap into a stronger, more authentic, uh, quote unquote, version of herself, that it would actually enhance her message. I have to believe, for me, maybe. I mean, so my, you know, my instinctual pushback is that how she talks is such a product of her upbringing. The stuff that feels like it's whiny, one could also say, is how that area of New York tends to sound. And you could say that the pitch and the vocal fry and the nasality are all ways of existing in a culture that says, if I come across as cute, I can get away with more. I don't disagree with you that that is a product of, in part, where she comes. I'm from New York, so I Mm -hmm. have heard it. Um, Do you love when she says, I'm going to be the bad guy? That's a delightful accent moment. Um, Yes. I mean, and which you pick up on. And it's funny because when you led, you also said my name right. And so all the deliciousness that you do, I hear. (laughs) I appreciate it. I just think that, you know, so people say, oh, you're from New York. I never would have guessed. You don't have a New York accent, right? And I didn't deliberately get rid of it. And there's some words you'll always hear it when I speak, when I say water. Like you'll always (laughs) hear it. But I think that, People have some comfort in neutrality to some degree, and you don't have to do it deliberately, but somebody like her, where you're trying to have approachability maybe, or you're not maybe approachability, but you're trying to have universality of message, or you're trying to bring people together, then maybe being a little bit more accessible in that way might help her meet her goal more effectively. Like, I wonder if it could be seen as a means to an end rather than a changing who I am. The counter argument mm. is that she's done so well and connected with people so well. And part of what I admire about her and would sort of hope that she wouldn't feel like she had to sort of coach her way out of is that she is showing us a new kind of powerful voice. If the interest I have in this podcast is for each of us in our own lives to feel like how we sound could be the future of power if we all just collectively agree that that's possible— she is a shining example of that. And the fact that she's been given power or earned it or, you know, fought for it and then continues to have moments like that one, which is not just like, you know, since I'm here, I guess I'll do some work, but rather I'm going to grab the narrative and make it what I want it to be. You know, she has these like Mr. Smith goes to Washington moments while still being that girl who talks like that. And maybe that's doubly powerful, you know, where it's like, look at what I've done and I have, the, you know, it's, It's definitely, it's almost like the new voice of power then becomes undefined. It can become, then anybody can. That's the dream. Because the opposite, which you referenced, is a a more generic sound. And mm -hmm. by generic, what we actually mean is the agreed upon standard, Mm -hmm. which is educated, white, male, you know, privileged, etc. And many of us because of our, you know, the delightful education we've had and privileges we found our way into or that we were born with, have been able to put on that generic voice mm-hmm. when we want it to get what we want in certain scenarios. But it doesn't mean that it should continue forevermore to be the only way that power should sound. I mean, that is the heart of this podcast is to say, dare we question that? I mean, it's a really fascinating question. The idea of a politician, I think the initial idea... initial, like in ancient Rome. (laughs) The first politician. Um, And maybe continuing through now, the idea of a politician is that they are supposed to be a representative of the people. Mm -hmm. If they can represent us, not just in terms of our interests, which by the way, a lot of politicians don't, but among the ones who are great, if they can represent us not only in terms of our interests, but also in terms of being a reflection of, of the demographic of who they represent, That, to me, feels like one of the most, like, hierarchy-busting ideas out there. And I actually totally agree with that. And so then where I would say she is killing it is in representing her people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that area from which she comes. And my dream for her is to have wider appeal because I want everyone to feel as connected with her as people like us do, right? Because that then allows somebody like her to— 
trickle through and change that dialogue. And that would be great. And I I guess where I worry is that can people do that? Yeah. I mean, and the question is also, what is that tribe? Because when you said that, I think you meant New Yorkers, mm-hmm. but also I'm not a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've spent years there, but I do not consider, you know, I allow, I allow people who are actually born and raised there to carry that mantle. But, you know, when we talk about what tribe she represents or what the Venn diagram overlap is of people who feel like she's, she's mine, mm-hmm. I get to claim her. It could be a generational thing. Yeah. For sure. It can right. be a gender thing for sure. It can be a class thing for sure. And then it becomes, who does that not include? Oh, the old, white, grumpy men who are rich and who might be dying out. You brought that around nicely. I mean, it's my dream, and I sound like a big old optimist, but, you know, I kind of have to be. I also want to just say, technically speaking, something that she does that's super cool, if you want to go back and listen to it, is um, operative words. This is the term that we use when we're talking about Shakespeare, but also about contemporary speech. When we're talking about long and complicated thoughts, what is the word that gets the lift or the punch or the operative is literally the word around which the entire thought operates? Mm -hmm. So in the phrase, but I don't want to, want is that. And it references back to something else that's implicit. We can tell from it, but I don't want to, Mm -hmm. that we're saying like, but you should. You know, there's implicit things and we all talk like this. And what she says in that is putting my interests ahead of the American people. It is possible to have memorized that line or to be prepared to say that and say putting my interests ahead of the American people, Mm -hmm. where you choose no operative word. Mm -hmm. She does it again with legally uh, get away with it. When you lift those words, it's connecting to the way we are, all of us, when we're talking about something we care about and feeling really comfortable. And to be able to translate that onto a larger scale is gorgeous. And an oratory style that, you know, is something we can learn from her. That's really, I would have to listen to it again because I feel like it's not something I would consciously pick up on if I'm listening to somebody, but it might just trickle through into my subconscious. It's totally to subconscious, right? It's an, yeah. an audience, when, when somebody doesn't do that kind of a lifting thing and doesn't sort of hold your hand and say, this is the thing that matters, the audience's reaction will be either, I didn't quite get that thought, I'm bored by it and disconnected, or you don't really seem like a person. Interesting. So for anybody listening who is thinking about a, you know, a presentation that you're about to give, can you figure out what the operative word is? It doesn't have to be an intellectual game. You can actually like try doing a little punch on each of the words and be like, oh, that didn't, that didn't feel right. You know, if she had said putting my interests ahead of the American people, suddenly you're like, well, we're not talking about foreign. Another country, right? right, yeah. If you're saying putting my interests ahead of the American people, it's like, uh, in contrast compared to, to what? what? Right, but putting my interests ahead mm-hmm. of the American people, suddenly you're saying, you know, this thing should be behind and instead right. it's ahead. Right. That's the unspoken part. Yeah. I mean, I think that it almost, to me, it feels like it goes without saying, like, why wouldn't you emphasize the most important element yes. of your thought? The answer is when we're in public, we start to get more generic, the more scared we are. And that's either about our accent and that stuff that we were already talking about, or it's that our pitch gets real flat. And when your pitch gets flat, you stop connecting to the thought in a way where people can pick up on stuff like that. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to have to pay attention. Anyway. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being honest about, you know, the ways in which you're grappling with a woman who you nonetheless admire, because I think in a way, you are all of us. You know, we're all dealing with that. I have to believe I'm not alone in this. I mean, because I do, I feel like I'm trying to filter out the bias and yet still, there it is. I mean, human. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you to Dr. Rena Gupta for coming in. You can find out more about her in the show notes or on our website, permissiontospeakpod.com. You can also go there, by the way, if you have any thoughts about this episode, anything you disagree with, anything you tried out in your own life that is or isn't working, anything that is coming up for you with Zoom conferencing or with uh, Instagram Live or anything you're trying to do that is working out differently in this bizarro new era that we're in. We uh, obviously are having more difficulty having guests into our studio space while keeping things healthy for the near future. So I am going to do an Ask Me Anything episode very soon. And I would so love your questions. If you go to permissiontospeakpod.com, you can submit it with a lovely little button and I will get it right away. Also feel free to send DMs or voice memos to our Instagram at permissiontospeakpod where we are posting a bunch and join the community and tell me what matters to you. Thanks as well to Sophie Lichterman and the team at iHeartRadio, to Megan Reed, to my family and cohort, and to all of you. 
We are recording this podcast in the iHeartRadio studios in Hollywood on land that used to belong to the Tongva Indigenous Tribe, and you can visit usdac.us to learn more about honoring Native land. Permission to Speak is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Vision, executive produced by Catherine Burt Canton and Mark Canton. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.